Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the worldwide broadcast of the Ted and Austin Brower Show, bringing you the latest world news and health research. Hope you guys are having an absolutely fantastic day today. As always, you morning. can see, yeah, yeah, good morning. <laughs> you can see I brought a whole bunch of fit food in today. We got a bunch of it in stock that just came in. We have some stuff that's getting a little bit older. It's going to be expiring in the next couple months. So I'm doing a massive sale on it. It's going to be really, really short, probably for like a day or two for almost 20% off on the front page of the website. So if you guys want to grab it, be sure to check it out. It's a New Zealand whey protein. We have it in vanilla and in chocolate. Incredibly Incredibly good flavor and also mixes really well. Actually, I'm probably going to make a shake here in a little bit for breakfast. I'll show you guys how well it mixes later on in the show. But again, want to give everybody a heads up on this because this will be a very, very short sale while supplies last. I put it on the front page of the website for the next day or so. Just give everybody a heads up right here for all of our listeners. First thing at healthmasters.com on the Ted and Austin Brewer Show. And Dad, how are you doing this morning? I use uh, one of our protein powders every single day, and this is the best tasting one we have, period. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love the product. It's phenomenal, and uh, if you're working out and you're trying to get good muscle recovery, this is that product. It's a great meal replacement, too, if you're trying to work on burning body fat, taking products like the berberine or cinnamon extract. This is a fantastic product. It's a meal replacement that gives you, you know, uh, 150, 200 calories, depending on how much protein you want to use, with a perfect little snack to stabilize your blood sugar and increase your protein uptake for the entire day, Dad. Well, it does. It does a good job for it, too. It also stabilizes the blood sugar really, really well. You know, uh, this morning I got a really interesting uh, article, in, and it said basically Taylor Swift is not a PSYOP. Now, I don't normally start with articles on, about Taylor Swift. Don't really care about Taylor Swift. <laughs> Neither do I. You know, I know, I know, I know. But, but, but because she's gotten basically a lot of prominence now because Biden wants her to endorse him and all the rest. Well, she's dating a Pfizer boy. Well, yeah, and, and because she basically sold out three Tampa you know, stadiums. <laughs> yeah, for her thing. She obviously is a big singer at this point, but I don't care for her. I kind of wonder if she's even a man. I'm assuming a girl or whatever she is. I don't know what she is. But but what's interesting, this is an article that says the inorganic overexposure of Taylor Swift and her bromance with Travis Kelce has introduced speculation that the Biden regime and the gaslighting propaganda cabal media intend to conscript her and her legion of superfans to endorse Joe Biden in the 2024 election, just as she did in 2020. New York Times recently reported that Biden's campaign is interested in an endorsement from Swift, who has repeatedly berated Trump and who spoke out against Senator Marsha Blackburn. Now, what's interesting about this is it says the inordinate excessive coverage of Taylor Swift has escalated to the point where regime flunkies have been compelled to do damage control by ridiculing those who have noticed. CNN's Jake Trapper gloated to his audience that far-right conspiracy theorists are all in on pushing the range claims that Taylor Swift is part of a steep state psychological operation or PSYOPs plot of the deep state, the NFL, and the Democratic Party to help deliver the 2024 presidential election to Joe Biden. Now, this is what's interesting about this is that the, another angle of the story is that Swift is herself a captured operation. Now, listen to this. This is why I'm covering the story right here, because I don't care about Taylor Swift, and I don't care for her music. Her music catalog is owned by the Carlisle Group and the Soros family. There you go. <laughs> okay, just thought I'd mention that. And the minute she complained about this, she became associated with neo-Nazis, not a good look for her brand, and she knows where her bread is buttered. Now, what's interesting about this is, is you know, when you look at the article here on what she does, is doing, it says why Taylor Swift has a legitimate beef with George, the George Soros family. It, it basically says that an unexpected crossover feud, Taylor Swift called out the George Soros family by name on Thursday night. This is an older article escalating a long-running feud with entertainment executive Scooter Braun. I want to thank my fans for making me aware that my former record label is putting out an album of live performances of mine tonight. Swift posted in a heated Instagram story post. This recording is from a 2008 radio show performance I did 
when I was 18 years old. Big Machine has listed the date as a 2017 release, but they're actually releasing it tonight at midnight. And I'm always honest with you guys about this stuff. So I wanted to tell you that this release is not approved by me. I look like Scooter Braun and his financial bankers, 23 Capital, Alex Soros and Soros family and the Carlaw group have seen the latest balance sheets and realized that paying $330 million for my music wasn't exactly a wise choice and they need money. You know, I don't know what to say about this, but you got to realize that when these people basically make this type of uh, level of entertainment you know, prowess and they have the ability to fill stadiums three times in Tampa Bay, which is holding like 80,000, 90,000 people per day, which is like the entire population of the greater you know, the, the Tampa Bay city limits of Tampa, and, and some of the tickets were two, dollars $3,000 a piece, Austin. This tells me that something else is going on. And this girl is basically being promoted by the cabal, has been promoted by the cabal, and she went very dark with her music a few years ago. So, again, this is the same thing to do with Miley Cyrus and all the filth that she put out. Be very, very, very careful with your children and what you allow them to watch. We talk about this all the time on the show about how they're programming the children, programming the children, and programming the children all of the time. Now, here's an interesting article, a thought that just came out, and it's, and it's by a, a lady from Instagram, and it says, being a conspiracy theorist, theorist is spending endless hours for years in gathering information, as much information as possible from as many resources as possible, and critically thinking about what the information means, then having people who do nothing but watch TV tell you that you're crazy. And that's so true. I mean, when you try to do all the research on this stuff and you try to figure out exactly what's going on, you start to see a picture and you start seeing patterns. When that happens, you start to realize that certain things are happening that you're not aware of that are undercover by the deep state, which can be the group that's controlled by Jeffrey Epstein. We can go into detail on that later on today. All of this stuff is part of the cabal that runs the planet. And when you understand it, you start seeing it. I remember I was watching uh, the movie Midway. It was the new one that came out a couple of years ago. Excellent movie. I recommend it for everybody. It's about the attack on Pearl Harbor and then also about what happened with Midway Island. Very, very good movie. And what it did is it had a group of code breakers that were basically sitting there and they could get fragments of stories and put them together and start seeing patterns of the stories until they finally they could, they could basically pick up around 25 to 30 percent of the actual information that was going out. That's how they did it. And they were able to piece these stories together from the 30 percent and see patterns and recognition. That's exactly what being an alt-media person is supposed to be like. You're not supposed to be reading mainstream media from ABC, CBS, NBC, and CNN and telling everyone this is the truth. You're supposed to be picking up alt-media stories and trying to figure out yourself exactly what's happening with the cabal that runs the planet. And what I've learned, Austin, is this, is when we do that and we break this thing down and we start looking at more and more and more of these different stories that are happening, and you start piecing the pieces together, certain things start to come up from a, on, a, on an ongoing basis which show you that a lot of what they're telling us is obfuscation, but a lot of what they're releasing to you is part of their lesser or white magic in which they go in and they tell you, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it because we realize that the karma, they call it that, on the other side of the veil is so bad if we don't warn you in advance of what we're going to do, we have to let you know what's about to happen. And so, right. you, start, so you, start put, you start piecing those pieces together and start seeing it. What do you well, think? Well, you see the patterns and trends with stuff, and they're not hard to figure out once you see it long enough. And like you were talking about with – old Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, Travis, that whole situation has, has nauseated me. But one thing that's funny about it is suddenly a lot of people haven't even bothered to mention this in alt media is that he put out a huge post promoting Pfizer. See, apparently from the rumors, he was paid millions of dollars for Pfizer for this post. Unbelievable. And he went on, this is, this is the post that he put out on Instagram says with my schedule, savings is key. Saving time is key. The CDC says you can get the seasons updated. 
COVID-19 shot when you get your flu shot if you're due for both. That's why I got two shots at one stop. Ask your doctor or pharmacist if it's right for you. You can also visit the CDC's vaccine.gov to learn more and schedule your appointment. In the Instagram post, Case states that this is a paid promotion for Pfizer, emphasizing its educational nature, where there's no direct mention of the Pfizer vaccine. The company's Pfizer logo appears on the video that he posts on Instagram. So he's shilling for Pfizer on his Instagram postage. However much they paid him, I don't know, but it's very clear at this point that that entire couple group, that couple is being used as a repeated narrative to try to push certain aspects and keep people focused on that. And you know what's interesting, too, about the Pfizer logo and the logos they show on all these yes. TVs? Like, you know, CBS is the all-seeing yep. eye. These logos actually have a specific energy field, energy frequency they put out, which affect the space-time continuum. I know that sounds weird. It sounds kind of goofy, but it actually creates physical reality. The more they can put their logos out, the more they can use certain keywords, certain colors. And it bur- birds also into your subconscious for other things exactly to play right. off of it. That's yes. exactly right. So all of that stuff is part of what they do with the PSYOP. That's why corporate logos are so very important for these major manufacturers yep. because they want to make sure they protect them. I remember years ago, and in fact, you, you remember this when you were a little kid. I remember there was a guy that we met through a man who now has passed away. His name was Merrill Eichenberger, and we met him at a Christian businessman's convention in Cancun, Mexico, way back when. And he had a man who worked for Disney, who was one of the top artists at Disney. And he, and in fact, I asked him to do some stuff for you because you were all about Mickey Mouse and all that crazy stuff back then and Donald Duck and all the rest of these little figures. You were a little bit of a kid. Yeah. And I remember he would not even draw Mickey Mouse because he was under contract with Disney, and they caught him doing that, which he could have done. He's an excellent artist. He would have been fined for it or lost his position with Disney. That's interesting. And he, and he said that Disney had come in and had brought in Touchstone Studios for only one reason. This is what he said now was to protect the Disney image, the, t- the Disney brand, because they didn't want to have any kind of movies that were PG-13 or hardcore violence or anything else underneath Disney. Now, my, 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 after 30 years have time yeah, saying, okay, you know, Disney now promotes open transgenderism. They have yeah. 70% of their employees are homosexual. Uh, and I'm not saying that homosexuals can't be good employees. I know they can, but the reality is they specialize. And like you said yesterday, if we have a problem, we need to hire some more gays and make sure we get it fixed. With Boeing. What's well, ridiculous. Boeing, yeah, but, but, the you door know, flies but, off. But, but we then, hire but, more gays. That's right. But what we look at is this, is that we start seeing things <laughs> that are happening and you start realizing, wait a minute, these are patterns. And they're always right. patterns. Now we got her boyfriend basically promoting Pfizer. And basically she's being owned by Soros and the Carlisle Group. And it just goes on and on and on to the same group that runs the planet. It's right. what it is. Now, another interesting article, and I'd like you to comment on this too, is America is undergoing genocide. It is not a conspiracy theory that 300,000 immigrant invaders, official count, entering the U.S. unopposed each month are recruits organized by non-government organizations and that, and that and not refugees from political persecution. The NGOs that are underwriting the invasion provide maps of the routes along with food and shelter are provided. Now, we're, because we have, the reason I'm reading is because we asked this question. Bring this up last year. Yeah, who's, bringing, who's providing the shelter and food? The, there are actually roads and bridges are actually being constructed to aid the invasion. One of the NGOs is the Seabrood Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, in which the current director of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, was a board member until December 2020. According to an article on Substack, HIAS has received over $100 million from the, from the federal government in the past three years. Mayorkas is a foreign-born himself, an immigrant invader, yet he is director of the Homeland Security for the United States. According to the report on Substack, HIAS has a processing center in the Darien Gap used to collect the immigrant invaders and to send them on their guided and provisioned way. Another problem with the Vantita Grupa, daughter of Indian immigrants, who is the associate attorney general of the United States, Grupa has been active in investigating police departments for in, in enforcing the LGBTQ rights and hate crime prosecutions 
and winning settlements for illegal migrant children. All this is coming out of Washington. Governance in the Tower of Babel is problematic, especially when the most recent citizens are people of color with racial privileges. This is Paul Craig Roberts' article that give them a preferred entry in the top positions. Many of the immigrant invaders arrive from countries in which it is commonplace that officials privatize their offices for money or ideological and social agenda. Under the Democrats, each and every month, illegal immigrants are permitted to enter the U.S. in number, over 380,000 in December alone, which is equivalent to the population of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Think about that. Every year, the Democrats' open border policy saddles us with up to 12 cities the size of Pittsburgh full of third-world migrants who know nothing of Western ways. Now, this is a real problem because, guys, it's not just people that are coming in from South and Central America. We're talking people coming in from all over the world. And we have to ask ourselves a question again. How are they getting across the Atlantic? How are they getting across the Pacific Oceans to get to Central and South America to join the caravan of hundreds of thousands of people headed to the United States on any given month? How are they getting across the ocean? Who's funding all of this time and money and effort and infrastructure to bring these people into the United States? Austin, what do you think? I think you just answered your own question. I mean, there's obviously a massive agenda afoot at this. You can just look at simply the bill that the Senate's trying to pass yesterday where they got over $20 billion that's going to support the illegal immigration by providing funds and $3,000 credit cards every single month to anybody that comes in. It doesn't take a rocket scientist with logistics knowledge base to understand that you can't sit there and have hundreds of thousands of people caravan across the country without any type of – they have to have some type of logistics support. You have to have extra shoes. You have to have extra socks. You have to have water. You have to have water filtration. You have to have food. You have to have MREs. 100,000 people eat an enormous amount of food when they're on a 2,000-mile trek. That's just knowledge. It doesn't take any difficulty in doing the mathematics on that. I did the numbers on it one time last year and talked about the millions of calories on a daily basis that people have to basically be able to consume in that large of a group that they're walking that far. And yet again, it suddenly is this organic you know, push. But then like you just said, the large percentage of the people now we're seeing in interviews are from Africa and from Middle East areas. They're not getting over here on a canoe. They're not leaving Africa on a canoe and going over two and three at a time. They're obviously being transported over here. And one of the issues from a cultural standpoint that you're going to start watching happen in the United States, you're already seeing it. And we saw this in Germany. We saw this in Europe when Syria got dumped out in the, uh, into Europe and all those Middle Eastern countries started shoving people. People that were in those Middle Eastern countries, you can talk to anybody. A lot of my guys that have been over the sandbox and stuff over in Afghanistan, the culture of individuals that are in Afghanistan are not the same culture of people that are in Germany. They don't have toilets over there. That's why they had such an issue. This is kind of a crude topic. But they kept running into issues in Germany when people were going there because all these migrants were coming in. They were defecating the flower beds. They were doing it all the time, sure. and nobody could figure out why they were doing it. And they were going, well, we don't know. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We're just here in Germany now. Well, and plus, you, do. plus remember, in Somalia, the average IQ is approximately 57. Yes. And I'm not being weird here. I'm just telling you what the numbers are as far as the, the research. Some people That's say up to 65 or 68. It. And so, you know, in the military, if, you're, if your IQ is below like 80, 85, you can't even serve in the United States military because they say you can't be trained for anything. Right. And so these migrants were coming in with 57 IQs, and they basically they couldn't figure out how to flush a toilet. Yeah. And they, Germany was bringing them in under Angela Merkel, who basically is a, was a hardcore communist raised in the Communist Youth League and basically opened up Germany to the borders after Libya was overthrown by Gaddafi and brought in millions and millions of these migrants into Germany who could not be trained. They thought they were going to bring them in to work at BMW and Mercedes, the plants, yeah, and that didn't happen. In fact, there's an interesting article here that talks about the interview. It says, this is not friendly. Brett Weinstein shows Tucker Carlson how China, the United Nations, and I remember the United Nations, is controlled through the Rothschild banking cartel, yeah, yeah. through money and through the international banking cartels via their central banks. 
the UN are driving into an invasion of America. Those are the chilling words that renowned biologist Brett Weinstein used to describe what he found when he visited the Darien Gap. This is what we just talked about a second ago, about them bringing them in, in an attempt to understand what was behind the sudden overwhelming flood of migrants into the southern border. The Darien Gap is a crucial yet perilous passage for migrants traveling from South America to North America that acts as a natural barrier, where for 60 miles the Pan-American Highway ends and the deadly jungle begins. That saw over a half million migrants, migrants transverse its terrain last year alone. So we had a half million migrants walk through 60 miles of jungle. Yeah, we all don't believe that. The jungle in the Darien Gap, in some place that one does not want to go without careful preparation, is quite dangerous. They're sleeping on the ground, and they get hypothermia. It's extremely slippery. Malaria? I mean, golly. In this chilly inter- interview with Tucker Carlson about a topic that apparently no actual reporter is willing to investigate and write about, Weinstein explains that the journey to Darien Gap was spurred by his interest in the unexplained aspects of mass migration and the findings of Michael Yan, a former Green Beret turned investigative journalist. You wonder why there's not a permanent team of New York Times reporters there trying to tell us the rest of what's happening. Through their journey, Weinstein and Jan uncovered a complex narrative involving not political asylum seekers, listen, but economic migrants and potentially orchestrated movements that appear coordinated by various non-government organizations and a particular current concern, the Chinese migrant camps they encountered. Remember, China is also controlled by the Rothschild banking cartel who overthrew China and controls the Chinese central bank. The first camp that Weinstein described visiting was full of migrants who were very open to discussing their stories with travelers and looked superficially like a migration of Central Americans that were consistently consistently told about. Many of them are South American, but it's by no means the whole story. Here we go. Listen, this is why I'm reading this. People are coming in from the Middle East. We met Afghans. We met people from the Caribbean. We met Haitians. There are people from Yemen, from Iran. It's really the shocking reality. But the supranational authorities were all about, were all evident. You see the hallmark of international community. You see the NGO emblems all over the place, proudly American flags. They pay for the water system, the toilets, everything that's there. The United States government is facilitating this economic migration. This is unmistakable as in an organization called IOM, the International Organization of Migration, is a branch of the United Nations. I'm going to post the rest of this article for you to read, but I want to go right back to this other one that I, that I wanted you to talk about here, about the Tower of, 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 Tower of Babel and what's happening too. And we need to realize who in the world is involved with this stuff that we're seeing right here. One of the non NG, the NGOs, non-government organizations, I'm going to read this. I read this in a second, but I'll read it to you again because, I, because of the Darien Gap. One of the NGOs is the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society in which the current director of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Moreitas, is part of. He was a board member until December 2020. According to an article in Substack, HIS has received, listen again, $100 million from the United States government to facilitate the transport of aliens across the gap. Mayork is a foreign-born himself an immigrant invader. He is the director of Homeland Security for the United States. So we have the person who's involved with Homeland Security opening up portals, basically that's what you'd call this, into the United States. On January the 31st, the House Committee on Homeland Security voted to approve articles of impeachment for Mayorkas for willful and systematic refusal to comply with law enforcing border policy and a breach of public trust. According to the Substack, here it is, listen. HIAS has a processing center in the Darien Gap. This is what I just talked about. This 68, 60 miles of woods and, and forest used to collect the immigrant invaders to send them on their guided and provisioned ways. Apparently, Mayorkas is aware of the HIS processing center in the Darien Gap, and they have received over $100 million as far as pushing them through this gap and possibly helping to finance it. But don't expect Congress to investigate anything that may reflect unfavorably on this organization. This is insane. We've got government people now with the Department of Homeland Security that are facilitating through the Darien Gap 
literally millions of invaders in the United States from all of these foreign countries, not just the Middle East, you know, not just Central America, not just South America, but Africa and everywhere coming into this area. So again, ask yourself a question like I did in my first segment. Who's paying for the transport of these illegals across the Pacific and across the Atlantic? And I can guarantee you it's going to be the same group of people that are doing it who to get them, who basically transport them from Central and South America for tens of thousands of miles in some cases, all the way up into the border of the United States. This is a systematic process of genocide of the American population and the destruction of our republic as a whole by foreign immigrant invaders by the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions over the next few years, if they already don't have over 50 to 100 million involved right now in the United States. This is Cloward and Pivot on steroids. That's, those, are, those, those are Berkeley professors who said the way you destroy a republic is to overwhelm their social infrastructure and destroy them by overwhelming them with basically putting out all of this free money to all of these groups coming in. And then we talked about it yesterday, when you have these people given the right to vote, they're always going to vote communist, they're always going to vote Democrat, they're always going to vote for them to get free stuff, which at that point in time destroys the republic. We're watching a systematic dismantling of the United States of America from an infrastructure standpoint, because we can't handle this from an infrastructure standpoint, and from a societal standpoint, and the destruction of our nuclear family and bringing in other cultures into this country that have absolutely no idea what it was to be an American and how to raise American children. No, no. They don't even speak English. What do you think, Austin? Well, it's interesting, too, because you see now it's, it's crazy because it's like Texas and Florida are sharing this parallel right now where it's almost like because we've been so Republican, because we've been so conservative, but also yet very free and open on pretty much any topic that you want to do. I mean, Florida's always been kind of one of those, like, you do whatever the heck you want in Florida. You want to go hunt gators, go hunt gators. You want to go buy machine guns, go buy machine guns. Just pay a permit and you're done. You know, do whatever you want. And we've noticed now that Florida and Texas have been literally the direct targets of this. There's reason why they've been bussing in and flying in individuals into Florida for the last five, six years now. I remember I told you the story that I had heard from somebody in Daytona. This is back during COVID. It was like 2020, 2021. And they went to Daytona basically on vacation and then went to uh, the Hilton over there. And they literally went out to the pool and every single chair had backpacks and stuff thrown all over it. The entire pool deck was covered in children. They said everybody there was either South American or Middle Eastern, Hispanic. There was nobody there that was American at all. Nobody spoke any English. And they all had these big lanyards on, like for a convention. And they went to the manager and they said, listen, we're here for like two or three days. Wait, we can't even get a seat at the, down here at the doggone at the pool. What in the world is going on? They said, we're really sorry about this. We'll you know, comp you some stuff. Uh, we just we can't really explain all this. We're not having a convention, but there's a whole bunch of people that are here right now. And what's interesting about this is that coming finding later to find out is that a lot of these individuals were all getting bust over here and bust over here and bust over here. And so now we're finding out, and you look in the, down here in Florida, if you go to like Lakeland, I had a friend down the other day that was down in Lakeland, and they were over at like 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, "Why? what is going on with the traffic down here? Why is it packed? So, why are there so many cars? Why is nobody at work? It's like everybody's shopping, everybody's eating, everybody's running around, and it's Thursday afternoon. Where is everybody coming from? I said, that's the million-dollar question. I said, nobody can figure out where everybody's working at in Central Florida. It's like nobody goes to work. It's 1 or 2 in the afternoon, and the interstate's completely packed stop for people traveling back and forth to Orlando. And so this is what we're watching now is this push into Florida to really compromise it. Because remember, the problem with Florida right now, with their hyper-developing it, Florida is one side away from being an island. Right. You can't go through back and through Florida through other states. There's one way in and one way out. It's through the top. And so what's happening is now Florida is getting massively, massively, massively pushed over. But what is also Florida election process? It's pretty much one of the biggest swing states. 
whatever Florida color flips to, it's the it's basically what goes to as far as the presidential. So now you have that going on at the same time, and you got to ask yourself the question: What is the giant push in the agenda? Now at the same time, you sent me an article here earlier that was interesting from Ukraine, and it shows how the Department of Defense has failed to properly track another billion worth of heavy weapons provided to Ukraine from an internal audit released on January 10th by the DOD. And what's crazy about this is they said 59% of the monitoring designed to track these weapons, they cannot find anything. The weapons include night vision along with thermal, anti-tank missiles, which they don't mention this here in this article. Those are javelins that I talked to you about, the 13,000 javelins they produced for Ukraine, along with that attack drones and small diameter bombs and rockets. 59% of them, they have no idea where they went. We wonder how they're getting sh- shot at ships. Where are the Houthis getting all these surface <laughs> air missiles from and all these javelins from? 59% I, of the advanced weaponry cannot be accounted can, can for. Be accounted for. 59%. And, and they, 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 they brag about it. They say, but this is an improvement over the 86% of the weapons that was unaccounted for in December 2022. So when I tell you that I know contractors that have told me verbatim these weapon systems are leaving Ukraine and going straight down through the you know Istanbul and going down to Africa and Yemen, I'm telling you, this is a direct correlation with all these tied together here. You can't send this level of weaponry to a country and not be able to account for it. It's a joke. I mean, well, you can. Well, you can. <laughs> you can, as they clearly are. And by I mean, it's not on accident. Well, don't you remember when uh, they said that, that I think it was uh, Rumsfeld to, to day before 9-11 said there were two point three trillion dollars missing from the defense. Yeah, budget right that, that they could not find it the day before. Yeah. You know, on, 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 on September the 10th. He announced yeah. it on September the 11th. You know, everything blew up you know, up there and in, in the area in the Pentagon that was targeted was the area that had all the financial records yep. for the losses. Yeah, right in that s- exact spot yeah. where the fuselage happened to punch a 30-foot hole right in the wall. It, 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 was, it, it was funny with that. It's Stubblebine, the general who worked in research you know, through the Vietnam War and through the rest of the time. He was like a fourth star general. He basically said, I don't know what, in, what, in, what, what went into the Pentagon, but what I can tell you, it was not it a plane. It wasn't plane. He goes, it had no, there were no wing marks on the walls. There was no turbines. There was nothing. And, and where, where did those giant landing gear end up going? I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, like in four days, it's all cleared out. And you're like, well, why was there a 30-foot hole and no wing marks? And, and why do you have the little tiny engines that you find there, that aren't, aren't part it, of the This is the million-dollar question. How is it that the same two planes, one of them comes in at ground level and hits the Pentagon with – just barely enough force to punch a 30-foot hole, but the exact same plane hits one of the twin towers and drops the entire building within 30 minutes. Let me let me explain let me explain something to you about <laughs> about, about about aerodynamics. You know, being a pilot, uh, there's a certain thing called ground effect, and what ground effect does, as you get closer and closer to the ground, you get a pushback because of the air envelope underneath the plane. In fact, what you do is when you take when you take off on a soft field landing, and you basically have to get up pretty quick because the wheel the landing may be short, the field may be short. You get as go as fast as you can, and you stay low as you pull your gear up, and the ground effect will actually help you to gain altitude and stabilize the flight pattern. Then you start to climb out of the area that you're in. What's interesting about this is from an aerodynamic standpoint, a 757 or 737 or whatever the heck that was that flew into the Pentagon, what was that? That'd be a 757, I think, is that when you're flying at 600 miles an hour, you can only do that in extremely thin atmosphere like at 35,000, 40,000 feet. Otherwise, it won't work. And when you're trying to fly a plane at 600 miles an hour at ground level, you create a slipstream that's causing havoc behind you. Plus, it can't be done because of ground effect. It won't fly that low. It can't fly that low, and it can't fly that fast in thick atmosphere. The whole thing was a lie. And as a pilot, I understand that. And so it could, if, it would, if, they, if they would have said a 7, you know, 57 came in, 
you know, at 200 knots or something like that, or a real slow speed, like landing speed. I was like, okay, whatever. Then they tell us it came in at 600. Then all of the doggone footage and all of the cameras in that area were confiscated by the FBI within 24 hours. And then we had to, we had to petition a, basically for five or six years for the Freedom of Information Act to get some clips. And the clips that they finally released showed no plane interacting or touching the Pentagon whatsoever. And also it shows an explosion in the Pentagon. No, Stubblebine was right. And as far as I'm concerned, it was a missile that hit. But, you know, but speaking of that, a war, a, the, the FAA, who, who I don't trust at all, warns the U.S. Congress <laughs> against hiking airplane retirement age. Reuters. The head of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration told Congress in a letter on Monday that lawmakers should not raise the mandatory retirement age of pilots to 67 from 65, saying it should first be allowed to conduct additional research. Okay. It is crucial to provide agency an opportunity to conduct research and determine mitigations. FFA Administrator Mike Whitaker said in a letter first reported by Reuters. The U.S. Senate Commerce Committee is eyeing a potential hearing on Thursday to consider its own version of the aviation bill. When it comes to raising the pilot retirement age, the FAA has made clear that a scientific and safety analysis must come first. That has not happened, said Senator Maria Cantwell, a committee chair. Aviation safety is paramount. Yeah, that's why I love that Boeing basically drill holes in planes that aren't supposed to be there. Aviation safety is, but, but they were stopped for doing that. A U.S. House voted in July voted 351 to 69 on an aviation reform passage measure that would hike the mandatory age to 67, and we strongly encourage proceeding that type of change with appropriate research. A separate letter from the Transportation Secretary Pete Buttig to Congress on 20, January 26 said the FAA currently has no data to support such an increased retirement age. He warned that raising the age of 67 would be above the international standards and have consequences for U.S. taxpayers, which is not true. There are many, many countries in the world that have a 67, basically, age retirement thing. And basically, here, let me read you this. FFA Chief Mike Whitaker, Senator Caldwell, and some pilots can't possibly data mine the nine countries. There are nine countries that allow pilots to fly commercially past the age of 65. These knuckleheads couldn't possibly look at all the part of the 135 worldwide flying performed by post-age 65 pilots. No, they need time to delay and basically you know, and go after them. Now, I'm going to say a few things here about this. Some of the best pilots that I know are over the age of 65. I have one friend of mine who successfully landed a plane on, on U.S. Highway 92 between Orlando or between Auburndale and Lake Alfred when his engine went out a few years ago. He's like 72 years old. The guy's a brilliant pilot. I have another friend of mine. He basically is also a phenomenal pilot, jet pilot, and he basically is in his late 60s. I see a lot of these guys who basically fly on an ongoing basis that are extremely well and well, you know, you know, very healthy. And, and well-trained over the age of 65 to 67. One of the biggest reasons this has happened was they were forcing pilots to get immunized and injected with the COVID vaccine. Yep. And many of these pilots just simply quit and went into retirement and said, no, you're not going to inject that with us, which has led us to a massive pilot shortage in the United States. Now, quite frankly, years ago, I flew on a private jet. It was basically a, an interesting experience. And the pilots were in their 30s. And this pilot took off from a local airport. I'll never forget this and did not have the proper heading to go on to fly to Gainesville, Georgia, and the pilot flew in circles. They were in their 30s. They flew in circles. They had not gotten approval or put their flight plan in you know, with the local airport until they were in the air, and they sat there and just burned jet fuel flying in circles because they were so inexperienced and, quite frankly, so stupid. And I thought about it when I was you know, in that plane. I thought, what the heck are these guys doing? If they're that inept, what are they doing? And then as we were landing near Gainesville, Georgia, she dropped from altitude almost 100 miles away from the airport and flew at about 4,000 feet with severe turbulence, went past the airport almost 25, 30 miles to turn back around and land with a tailwind. I've never seen a person this stupid before 
working behind the controls in the left-hand seat of a jet. And so I thought to myself, what in the world is going on with these people? That's the younger pilot. That's the immature pilots in many cases. Not all of them. Some of them are really good in their 30s. This person was not. And I thought to myself, I've put my life in this person's hands by getting on this airplane, Austin. Yeah, I don't want to be here right now. And I mean, I, I did. I, I kind of pitched a fit. I actually walked up to the cockpit because in smaller jets, you don't have the ability to lock them up. They basically you talked to everybody up front. And I said that <laughs> I said to her, I said, what are you doing? Well, we're trying to get clearance to go to Gainesville. And she thought it was Gainesville, Florida. Instead of Gainesville, Georgia. I mean, it was the nuttiest thing. you'd. I mean, why in the world would you take a private jet to Gainesville, Georgia, Florida? When it's an hour and a half drive. drive. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> and so it, 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 was one of the, it was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. And I thought to myself, wow, the inexperience of the youth of these pilots is mind-boggling. And I thought to myself, give me a 70-year-old pilot right now. I'm good. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with that. At least they know what they're doing and they, can, and they know how to get clearance. What do you think, Austin? What's your next story? I'm hungry. Oh, I'm gonna make it. I gotta make a shake, man. Let's I'm looking it. over here. I need a shake. I'm really hungry. I'll be honest with you. I was gonna grab a can. I was deciding if I want to grab a bottom one and let them all fall down on live to just make it look funny. But I think I'm just gonna grab the top one and make way less of a mess on the stage. Have you broken the safety seal on it yet? I haven't broken any of it yet. Oh, this would be fun I'm watching you do this. Oh, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying not to make a mess. This is live. I know this. I'm trying not to get it everywhere. Okay. Oh, it popped right off there. Yeah, we should be good. Oh. All right, I got a shaker over here because so I, I need something to eat. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Scooper in here. You know, this is what happens. This is what happens when you go to live, you know, podcast. Yeah, this wasn't planned. I was just like, I got, I got to make some deep. You know, well, it was kind of planned. You got a glass of water right there. Well, I missed my shake. Is what <laughs> happened? I was like, well, I got plenty of it over here. I'll show you. I don't even have a. Uh, I don't need to have a ball in here, guys. Two, two and a half scoops right there. The ball's a little spring in the. There's a little spring in there we sell with the shakers normally. It just comes with it automatically. But they have and, a um, They get lost in the dishwasher. I don't know where they've all gone. Yeah. Make sure that's tight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Throw it all over the, my computer. Now, it's interesting about this. You guys will know a lot of times with uh, with other proteins, they don't mix very well. And usually, if you throw the ball in there, it'll mix great with other proteins. I'm wanting to do this right now just because I want to show you guys how well this stuff mixes up. I'm trying not to spill it all over my computer here. You guys see, it's literally like chocolate milk here. There's no there's no clumping. There's no nothing in it. And uh, this is the Dutch chocolate, and this is the best taste one we have. Yeah. By the way, this is 100% New Zealand way. Ah, <laughs> you're funny. Austin. I was hungry though, but uh, yes. Anyways, on the side note for this, uh, there was this an article. This is what you call shameless product placement. That was shameless. I use it every day though. <laughs> I, I, I was in a rush this morning, man. I had to eat something. Now, one thing that's interesting, I wanted to bring this up because this has been an interesting uh, topic over the last couple of days. If anybody has seen what has been going on here, there's been a uh, longstanding EPA. Uh, as far as for the last three days, there's been expert testimony now from Congress with the EPA trying to discredit expert witness who say that studies prove fluoride is a neurotoxin. I don't know if you've been watching this. Fluoride is a neurotoxin. It is a neurotoxin. It's been going on the last couple of days. And the EPA has literally been bringing in these clowns that they pay. They paid them to come in. They said, listen, we need you to figure out how to tell everyone that fluoride's not a neurotoxin. And so they'd be coming up with these, these statements that keep getting discredited. It's interesting. Food and Water Watch, Fluoride Action Network, and Moms Against Fluoridation, all advocacy groups have been filing suit against the EPA. That's what started this whole thing to force the agency to prohibit water fluoridation in the United States. Expert witness Philippe Grange, MD, returned to the stand for a second day. There was another individual that came up there and basically leading expert on environmental toxins. 
and they went on to say here, he provided a long history of research on fluoride's neurotoxicity, including his own research linking fluoride exposure to cognitive deficits and key findings from the National Toxicity Program reporting higher fluoride exposure to lower IQ in children. And this is an article that we've talked about in detail. One of the stu- this was a study back from 2012, Impact of Fluoride on Neurological Development in Children. And they found through 27 different studies that areas that had higher fluoridation in the water, the children in those areas invariably had lower IQ points when they tested them. And what's interesting is I'm going to keep watching this the last couple of days of this is because everything they keep talking about here is what we've talked about. And what's crazy is the EPA just comes in afterwards. They go, well, you may be an expert in this. You may have done 20 different research studies proving this, but this is erroneous. We're the EPA. We know it's best for everybody. More fluoride. And they go, did you not just hear the last five doctors that came up here and told you all their trials for the last 20 years? It's erroneous. We're the EPA. We do what we want. And I'm like, God, these guys are so insane. And this is, this is what happens, though. The reason I'm bringing this up, this is what happens when you have alphabet agencies like the EPA and the DEA and the ATF and the FBI that literally start operating under their own umbrella. They, they have no recourse. They literally operate just without – with impunity, with nothing. There's no oversight, and this is what the EPA has been doing not only with the water. They've been doing this with the vehicle industry and coming in now with more and more and more restrictions and ruining the vehicle industry while saying everything has to go green with EV but not providing any type of legitimate infrastructure or reasoning behind what they're doing. They just come up with these arbitrary numbers. I told you guys, one of the guys, uh, diesel mechanics I know at the Chevy dealership, he told me, he said for the 2024 diesels, both the three liter and the 6.6 Duramax, he said the EPA came in and just said, here's the new tables that have to be basically applied to all the Duramaxes. They said, well, these tables aren't very functional. You're going to run rail pressure through the roof. DPS, DPF soot is going to build up. They're going to get horrible fuel miles. You're going to have overheating issues. They go, doesn't matter. We're the EPA. 2024, it's a new mandate that was now put into place. You have to put all these tables in the ECU. And if the ECU it can't keep up with it, and the engines start failing, and they have repeated problems and go in the shop repeatedly. The only way they can go in and actually change the tables back to a more normal area so the motor doesn't fail, they have to petition the EPA, send all the data. The EPA takes months to review it and then says, well, we've decided we'll allow you guys to change some of this you know, for the time being, but next year it has to go back to what we say it is. This is crazy, and this is the same agency that's telling everyone fluoride's healthy and fluoride needs to be added to more water. For your teeth, guys. It's for your safety and protection. Always remember that. Well, whenever you have organizations that have multiple layers of management, like the EPA or the FAA, okay? yeah. any organization, you get the Peter Principle going, which means as levels of basically management increase, so does inefficiency. Inefficiency, yep. And so you, know, you learn that in the MBA program. It's one of the first things they teach you. And, and the crazy part about this is, is that this is what happens. As you go higher and higher up, the people who are higher, who've had all these, organi- all these employees that are 10 levels down, do all this research. They don't want to override every single layer of management and say, no, we're not going to do this unless they've got a set of, you know, well, unless they have guts. <laughs> Almost said something bad. But, but they don't want to do that. They don't want to take – they don't want to be a leader at the top and say no. That's the one thing I like about Elon Musk, and you talked about this yesterday. Now, major organizations over in Europe now are just refusing to buy – you know, companies refusing to buy his cars for their employees. And so Elon Musk is basically coming in and basically taking hits left and right, left and right. But he didn't own that much Tesla stock anymore anyhow. Yeah. But the sad part about all of this is, is they always play one side against another like this, but this the lack of leadership, of real leadership. I don't care if the woman's a C, you know, the CEO is a woman or, 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 if or if she's a man. They've got to show leadership. And when they look yeah. at this stuff, they look at this research, they've got to say, wait a minute, this isn't okay. Like the EPA needs to say, okay, we got a problem with fluoride. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah we, we have a problem with this. I mean, this thing's causing, it's a neurotoxin. It's causing a massive reduction. The first use of fluoride 
from the research that I've read, was done in the Nazi concentration camps, primarily at Dachau. And they found out that the inmates, remember, these concentration camps, they, they were slave labor camps, and they didn't want to work. And they said, well, you know, if you're not going to, you know, basically we're prisoners here, you can't force us to work. So they had to find a way to make them so they were infertile, so they wouldn't basically produce a bunch of babies in the slave labor camps. And they had to find a way to make them servile so they would do what they were told. Now, they tried to drug them with drugs. There's all kinds of drugs out there that you could have given them. But these inmates were pretty smart. They said, well, how about we don't swallow the pills? So they found a way to get them to take the pill, whether they wanted to take the pill or not. They put it in the water supply, and what they used was fluoride because it made the inmates servile, like a servant, and infertile. And when we got into Dachau in 1945 and we saw the research that had been done in these concentration camps in 1946, they started putting fluoride in the water supply of the United States a year after that. And it was a huge debacle when it's happened. In fact, Dr. Strangelove, which was done by Stanley Kubrick, one of the primary reasons that World War III had started is because of fluoride in the water supply. Watch the movie. You'll see it. It's a crazy movie. And it talks about why they were attacking us and why they were doing this. And one of the key actors said, they're putting fluoride in the water. We have to stop this. It's going to destroy the country. I'm, I'm not joking about this. And that was Stanley Kubrick, who was an insider, who many feel did a whole bunch of research and work on the Apollo project as far as filming, filming some of what they call fake moon landings. Now, whether or not all that's true or not, I have no idea. But I don't think any of that was true with Apollo anyhow. Well, now we finally have a glimpse of sanity as I've changed topics. Dartmouth has returned to standardized testing for mission after the failed experiment as far as basically, uh, I guess we'd call this affirmative action run amok. In response to the virus pandemic and nationwide Black Lives Matter riots in the summer of 2020, some elite colleges and universities shredded testing requirements for admission. Several years later, the test optional admission has yet to produce the promising results of a racial and class-based equity that many woke academic institutions wished. The failure of test-optional admission policies was, has forced Dartmouth College to reinstate standardized test scores for admissions starting next year. This should never have been eliminated as merit will always prevail. Nearly four years later, having studied the role of testing in our admissions process as well as its value as a predictor of student success at Dartmouth, we are removing the extended pause and reactivating the standardizing testing requirement for undergraduate admission. Effective with the class of 2029, Dartmouth wrote in a press release Monday. For Dartmouth, the evidence supporting this is this. But I, but I, here's I, here's one of the reasons I wrote this. I read this is because I just said sooner or later leadership has to do has something. to step in, okay, right? And they're doing this <laughs> for Dartmouth. Well, I guess sooner or later it doesn't ever have to happen with our government. For Dartmouth, the evidence supporting our reactivation of required testing policy is clear. Our bottom line is simple: we believe a standardized testing requirement will improve, not detract from our ability to bring the most promising and diverse students to our campus. The elite campus college said, "We thought we would have." Who would have thought that eliminating standard tests for admission because of a fringe minority said they were instruments of racism and bias system was ever? I'm going to repeat this. Okay. This is who would have thought eliminating standardized tests for admissions because of a fringe minority said they were instruments of racism and bias system was a good idea. We are doomed. Clown world. He wrote that. I mean, he's, he's being facetious, obviously, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out, more from Dartmouth who commissioned this research. They also found that test scores represent an especially valuable tool to identify high-achieving applicants from low- and middle-income backgrounds, that is true, who are first-generation college-bound, as well as students from urban and rural backgrounds. All the colleges and universities that quickly adopted test-optional admission in 2020 experienced a surge in applications. Perhaps <laughs> the push for test-optional was under the guise of a woke equality, but was nothing more than protecting the bottom line for these institutions. 
A glimpse of sanity has now returned to woke schools, admitting qualified kids. Next up is corporate America and all tiers of the U.S. government. Good luck with that, because when the corporate America is owned by BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, and the government is owned by BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard through the Rothschild banking families and the bloodline families, you start to realize, especially with Jeffrey Epstein blackmailing a bunch of these guys, having sex with underage women, et cetera, et cetera, that this group of people in these organizations are going to be hard to get out because most of them, Austin, who are doing all of this stuff, almost all of them are non-elected officials that are being blackmailed. And then you have the elected officials that are involved. Remember, Donald Trump was best friends with, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. They used to go bar hopping together. He was like his wingman. And we also realized that Bill Clinton was best friends with Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates. And this list goes on and on and on. What do you think, my friend? No, you're exactly right. This is where they're trying to push it because they want to essentially make everybody and all operations as dumb as possible. The thing that's going to be interesting about this, if they keep playing this game with a lot of these major corporations that BlackRock owns, they like performance. They like numbers like we're seeing with Boeing now. At what degree can they promote this agenda and get away with it? Because you start having where, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are at a job. It doesn't matter how smart you are at a job. It doesn't matter how test, how well you tested a job. You know, we're putting you in this position to start drilling holes in a plane because, well, it's, you know, part of the DEI program. You know, we want to have equity and, you know, inclusion in this. We're going to make sure we hire you because of that reason. And then you start having doors fly off planes and all these other problems. And it's funny now with Dartmouth going and doing that, you know, who would have thought when they stopped any testing, they would have had a massive surge in applications going to Dartmouth. Well, now what's happened is they have these Dartmouth students that can't get through the classes. That's exactly right. So, That's, what's, so what's, what's happening is these professors are saying, you're asking me to give these guys, these guys credit. Yeah, you're, you're they're asking, failing. I got to pass them. You're asking me to let these people pass with a Dartmouth Ivy League degree. Three. Basically, who can't read, who can't write. <laughs> now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this, is, this is interesting to me. You know, years ago, I was a college professor for two years. And I was shocked. I, I taught at Tallahassee Community College up at, you know, near FSU. And what was interesting about this is I had many of the students that came to my classes who were functionally illiterate. This is just just truthful here. I'm, I'm being straight. And this was a long time ago. And I couldn't believe they had gotten through high school because they'd been pushed through high school, but they couldn't read or write. But they were in college because they had a high school diploma and it was a junior college, you know, you know, whatever, community college. And what was funny about this is that I would give them true-false questions, you know, with a 50-50 probability of getting it right or wrong. And many of these students would not answer the true-false. They just leave it blank. <laughs> Finally, I had to go in front of the class with a quarter, okay? And I say, this is true. This is false. And flip the quarter and say, okay, that's true. That's false. 50, 50, that's man. <laughs> that's false. And I said, you're better off to put something, something down, down at 50, 50 than leaving it blank. You have a 50% chance of getting it right. Black or red, man. I said, if you wrote down false all the way down, you'd have a 50% chance of getting it correct. And I said, leaving these blank doesn't work. You can't do this on a college exam. And they all looked at me like a calf at a new gate. You know, a lot of them were sitting there with their mouth open, like, you know, you know, and I'm like, OK, wait a minute, guys, this is crazy. OK, so then I'd go back and then I finally I, I finally used a teacher's guide that was also available at the office that had a lot of the questions that we would use for the exams posted in the teacher's guides as a student study guide. And finally, I'd said to the class, I highly recommend you get the student study guide. It's very close to the teacher study guide. And some of the exact questions are in there. And they just looked at me kind of funny. And finally, I would open up the teacher's guide and I would read questions from it and say, this will be on your test. Do you understand that you need to study this booklet? So then some of them said, oh, okay, and they went and bought the booklet. And then after about a year of teaching there, in which I, I hate to say it, 
I gave a bunch of these kids who got Fs, I gave them Fs instead of Ds. I didn't realize that was verboten, okay? <laughs> and I wasn't supposed to have schadenfreude, which I didn't, by the way. That's that German word, schade means sad, freude means happiness, means you're happy when someone's sad. That's one of those weird words that Germany came up with that I really wish they hadn't invented. Schade. But it says a lot. I didn't have schadenfreude. These people were failing. But then they finally told me the second year I was there, they said, oh, by the way, we don't have any available cast class slots for you. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? It says, but we have them at the federal correction. I'm there you go. So you go. To the prison for you. You can go to the prison. The gulag. We're going to let you teach you the gulag. In and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what's the real? And I, and I still to this day believe that the reason I was sent to the prison, to the I can't make this stuff up, is because I failed too many students, Austin. And so what was funny about it, so then I went out to the prison, and I started teaching these guys, and they were pretty smart. They were pretty fun to be around me. Some of these guys were pretty nice. And then one of them one time asked me to haul something out of their form and send information to a friend, like a letter. And I said, absolutely not. We were told that was contraband. You could never accept it. And so I said no. And then finally one day, one of these other guys had taken an exam in there. He got an F, and he stood up and confronted me. Now, when you're in prison and you're locked up, <laughs> you got to go to the security gates to get in there. And I don't have security guards in the room with me. And this guy jumps up and starts screaming at me. He's a convicted felon. And they tell me, they say, there's a phone here beside you. If you knock it off the hook, we'll be there within 60 seconds. And I told them when they told me that, a lot of stuff can happen. Having 60, 60 seconds, seconds in a fight. <laughs> in a fight. <laughs> so well, finally, I, I, was, I was still working out. I saw, I've always worked out. So I kind of fussed at him and told him to sit down and shut up. I thought to myself, this is not okay. And so from that point forward, I had to have security, armed security, walk me through the prison complex when I went to my classroom and pick me up and bring me back. And that was my last semester there. I said, you know what? I'll finish this because I always like to finish what I start, but I'm not going to be involved in this any longer. So, you know, when I look at this and I look at these optional test scores and all the stuff that happens, I start to realize that this problem with the Frankfurt School has been going on a lot longer. And it starts in high school and elementary schools when they pass children who don't deserve to pass. I know this one kid. He graduated from high school a couple of years ago. He's functionally illiterate. I mean, he really can't read or write. He can't really fill out a job application, but he got through high school. And when he was asked how he got through high school, it was very simple, Austin. I cheated my way through. People did my work for me. Now, he's very good with his hands. He's like a blue-collar worker, and he's a great guy. But the reality is what has happened to our educational system oh, yeah. is completely and totally failed. And therefore, we're now raising children who have no functional skills whatsoever in today's society who basically want to go work out of their cardio class at 8 o'clock and miss their meetings and not go to work and not have the job description that's going to be okay for them. So they're going to go to the boss, which I talked about the other day, and change their job description. I'm, cha I'm calling a meeting, Ted. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, they, they had just you. started, too. That was the funny part of that story. They just started. Yeah, the only, and I said, how are you calling a meeting? Oh, I'm calling a meeting. I'm going to read it. We're, we're, we're redefining my job description. And my response was simply two words again. I covered it the other day. You're fired. I mean, I mean, it's just insanity. So, so what do you think about this? What do you think about having Dartmouth, the glyph of sanity? And you think this is going to permeate through the entire university system, including Tallahassee Community College, I may add. What I, do you think? I think it's going to permeate pretty deep until, again, like you just said, you're going to have a few people in the upper levels of these universities that are going to step in and say, this isn't functional. We can't keep having this just to, in order to make a few people that essentially are morons feel better about themselves. Was well, is the truth of the matter of fact. I'm not trying to be mean about anything, but there's always individuals in society that excel in certain areas better than others. It's just part of it. You can sit there and say it's wrong or right. It doesn't matter. It is what it is. And so trying to sit there and make everyone else cater to a very, very small percentage of the population because simply they want to feel like they're involved in something that they can't really be involved in because they can't handle it. 
It's like that's why there's some people can't be attorneys. Some people can't be doctors. Certain people have better skill sets than others. I guarantee you take a lot of attorneys and you take them to a mechanic shop. They can't tell you how to rebuild a diesel engine. They have no idea how to rebuild a diesel engine whatsoever. True, true. You take a diesel mechanic, you take him to a, you know, a law firm, you put him in front of a court. He's not going to know how to represent somebody. Everybody has specific skill sets they're better at than others. There's nothing wrong or right about it. It's just the way it is. So trying to sit here and say somebody that cannot do a certain description is not good at that description, will never excel at that description, they're being put into that simply because, well, we have to meet our quota numbers. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, the sad part about it is, is this. Then you have tiers and those development. You have good attorneys and you have bad attorneys. Yeah. You have good doctors, you have bad doctors. You have some attorneys that'll handle the divorce case and it's just it's awful what yeah. is happening. Okay. And you have some attorneys that handle a divorce case and it works out really yeah. well. That's why that's one thing you don't want to be cheap on is the attorney that you hire if you're or a doctor if you have to have a surgeon. Well, well, you, you, got, you got a neurosurgeon who's an affirmative action hire. Yeah. <laughs> okay? You got a neurosurgeon who got into medical school with a 1.5 GPA because he was an affirmative yeah. action, you know, with, with a base level yeah. on his MCAT. Yeah. on a base. Well, he basically would maybe have never taken the MCAT. And all of a sudden he shows up and he goes, uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah uh, what do I do here now? It was my next, you know, and you go, wait a minute, you're about to cut my brain open. I don't think so. I quit. <laughs> Let me tell you a funny story. I was about to have soldier shoulder surgery years ago. Yeah. we got to, we got to, I have to also finish up the show real quick. And they had me all hooked up in the little gowns and everything else. And I'm in this doggone suite. And all of a sudden, I look around, and it's during Halloween. And they've got little bitty caskets sitting around with little fake dead bodies in it. And they've got witches hanging from the ceiling, you know, as far as Halloween. And I'm about to go under anesthesia. And I got a real bad feeling about even being in this place. And so I looked at the doctor who was then standing there talking to me. And I said, you know what? I changed my mind. And I started pulling the electrodes off. And I stand up, you know, and, of course, I have no you know, clothes on under my little gown. And I start stripping in there and putting my clothes back on. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving. I have elected not to do this surgery. See, isn't that the resolve we all need to have when we get into a situation that we don't want to be in? And I walked out of the surgery suite and I said, I'm done. And I had ended up having some prolotherapy done on my shoulder. They had some stem cells done. And my shoulder's fine. Never had to have the surgery. But the truth is that's the resolve that all of us need to have. We need to keep our hearts and minds in Christ all the days of our life. We need to always think about God first in our lives. We need to pray on an ongoing basis. If you're married, you would be praying with your partner out loud every single day. Really important. One study found that over 50% of marriages that are Christian end up getting divorced, with the exception when they pray together out loud, it's like 99% stay together. It's that important because you basically become intimate one with another through God with prayer, and you learn to know each other much, much better. So stay with Jesus. Whereas as far as me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that's what the show's always about. It's always about being balanced with God all the days of your life. Austin, finish it up. What do you think we should be talking about in the last few minutes? You're exactly right. And there's one article I want to touch base here because this has become such a significant problem. And it was actually on uh, Epic Times. And this is over in Australia and another one how in the United States. And they're saying how vape, vaping retailers are addicting an entire new generation to nicotine. This is very interesting because as everybody has pretty much seen now when you go out in public, you see a lot of these kids now, young kids, young adults, that are constantly hitting these disposable vape pens, bigger vape pens, and these things are loaded with nicotine. I've talked about it in general here, but this article talks about how now Australia's vaping laws have allowed a massive influx of young children to start basically having access to these vaping cartridges, and this is happening all over the world now. And so it's something to be very aware of and understand that this is not something that, you know, back in the day, kids want to smoke cigarettes 
it's a pretty rough thing to end smoke. I mean, I, I tried a cigarette when I was in college. It choked me out. I tried one, one and done. It was horrific. And what's interesting about this, though, these vaping cartridges have all these different compounds in them that make it much easier to inhale, much easier to smoke, and much more addictive because the levels of nicotine are much higher. Wanted to put that out there because I'm seeing this is becoming a very, very big problem across the country now, and it's getting a lot of kids addicted to this stuff at a young age. And the problem with this is it can cause all types of issues with hypertension and cause neurological problems when they're younger. It can cause massive addiction problems as they get older, not to mention the cardiovascular problems that are associated with nicotine as it being a vasoconstrictant. So be cautious of that. Be aware of it. Understand it's becoming a very, very big problem with these younger kids. There's a reason why majority of these vape cartridges, if you ever seen them on their boxes, they're like great bubble gum, bubblelicious, you know, cinnamon toast crunch, fruity pebble flavor. They're not directing that towards 30- and 40-year-old grown adults. Nobody's wanting to buy that stuff. Here's another article inside Britain's child vaping epidemic. There you go, another one in Britain. Fueled by the highlighter pens sold in flavors like cotton candy, leading experts to praise government crackdowns will ban disposables that only let e-cigs be sold in four flavors. So cotton candy, Oreo crunch, whatever. Crazy stuff they're coming up with. No, why don't they make it like, this tastes unbelievably horrible. We don't want you to put any flavors in it. You're going to realize Natural tobacco flavor. You're you're (laughs) going to get bitterness of nicotine and the unbelievable problems with heart disease associated with it. Good luck. You're going to puke the first time you try this. And all they're going to be like, well, the kids are going to go, I don't want to do this anymore. I told you guys that as eight years old, I tried one cigarette. That was it. I coughed and fell on the floor and said, this is nuts. Yeah, <laughs> facts. Bit food protein, Austin. Yeah, if you guys need any, check it out. With a short, short sale on this, guys, it'll be on for probably a day or two on the website, or you can call us up and order it. It's like 18% off right now. Moving a bunch of inventory out of the way. Got a bunch of new stuff in stock. So be sure to grab a can if you want to try it. Great for pre-workout, great for post-workout, and great for meal replacement as well. Check it out on the website at healthmasters.com. If you need anything, you know where to get a hold of us, and you guys have a blessed, safe, awesome evening. We'll talk to you again on this show tomorrow as always. Hey, guys, remember, this is not a practice. This is the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and always make the best of it all the year. Always God. We love you guys. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting Health. Broadcasting to the U.S. and around the world by way of clear digital audio, 22,500 miles above the planet. This is the Global Star Radio Network.